Our family has spent a lot of miles this summer driving. We went from Flowertown, Pennsylvania, down to Montgomery, Alabama, and back. We went from Flowertown, Pennsylvania, out to St. Louis, Missouri, and back. And then most recently from Ridgefield down to Waynesville, North Carolina, in the western part of the state, and back. We have been on the road with a lot of people. We've been on the road with morons. We've been on the road with idiots. We've been on the road with jerks. We've been on the road with crazy people that are surely be the death of us. But for the first time ever in all my time of driving, I was on the road with those people. I know it was them because they passed on the left and they had this sticker in the back of their window that said simply, those people. And I said to my mom who was riding with me, I said, oh look, there are those people. You know, those people. Perhaps you know some of those people. I imagine that you do. I don't know who they are for you, but everybody seems to have them. Those people who never do any work, those people who always complain, those people who always have a suggestion, those people who it is easy, yes, even tempting, to objectify others in an effort to gain some distance from them. When we identify those people, we can stand at a distance, often in righteous judgment about how we are not them. And in making an object of another, we also affirm our power in the situation, our unwavering security in who we are. I am good and kind and loving. I'm not like one of those people. In Jesus' ministry, I would say during his entire ministry, people wanted to objectify him. A couple weeks ago in our gospel lesson, after he performed the feeding of the 5,000, People wanted to make him king, set him up there on a pedestal, and he refused because to make him king would to make him an object. In today's gospel, when he says to the hearers that he is the bread of life, they can't conceive of how that's even possible. The Jews complain to one another and say, isn't this guy Joseph's son? That's who he is. By objectifying him, they can keep him at a distance. But Jesus is saying again and again in the gospel stories and in today's as well, that we cannot know him without having a relationship with him. The only way that people will experience him as the bread of life is to have a relationship with him. Parker Palmer, in his little book, To Know As We Are Known, education as a spiritual journey, talks about the inclination of education to want to objectify what is being learned. Indeed, there seems to be a desire to try to figure out what it is we should know, then to master it and apply it to our life in the world. But what we hunger for at our deepest level is to be known beyond our capacity to learn and master something. We want people to know us beyond our title or accomplishment or achievements. We want to be known as more than the sum of those pieces. 
Parker Palmer says in his little book, the deepest calling in our quest for knowledge is not to observe and analyze and alter things. Instead, it is personal participation in the organic community of human and non-human being, participation in the network of caring and accountability called truth. We desire to be in a network of caring and accountability called truth. It is our deepest calling. I felt like I got a little glimpse into what that network looks like in the weeks leading up to yesterday's Nutmeg Festival and in the hours that followed all of the festivities. There were people that showed up many evenings in the two weeks prior, working together to set up the ancient wooden booths and the tents and the miniature golf. And they shared a meal together. And then yesterday, when it was time to break it all down, it was pretty much those same people who rolled up their sleeves and put it all away. Now, knowing human nature to the extent that I do, I'm pretty certain that at least once in the evening, it went through each person's mind that they really just wanted to go home. They'd done their fair share. But then they looked around at the other people who had already also done their fair share and thought, well, I can't leave them. If we just do it all together, it'll get done more quickly. A network of care and accountability. From the time that we enter into this world to the time that we leave it, each of us wants to be in a network of caring and accountability called truth. We hope to find this in our nuclear family. We demonstrate it in the time that we make for one another, the way that we listen to one another, and the way that we respond to one another. When we don't find this in our nuclear family, it hurts us deeply. We also expect to find this network of caring and accountability in our church. This is why gossip and speculation within a church can be so destructive. You've undoubtedly heard people say, but I thought this was supposed to be a church. Well, if it makes you feel any better, that kind of conversation has been, beginning from, has been going on since the beginning of time. And that's what we see in the letter to the Ephesians this morning. Paul writes, so then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Made children of God through our baptism in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been knit together into a network of caring and accountability called truth. It's the only way it can be made known. Truth is not objective. Truth is not subjective. Truth is what happens when we are in a relationship of caring and accountability. And so the letter to the Ephesians goes on to tell us how it is that we can work to create that network of caring and accountability. Make use of your anger constructively, it tells us. Let it inform you of what is valuable to you in relationship with the other and give you the emotional reserve to address that issue constructively. Notice that your words can build up as much as they can tear down. So use them carefully that they can be a foundation for goodness. Remember that each of you has been marked by the Holy Spirit and treat each other accordingly. 
Remember that you are relating to another one of Christ's very own. And put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander and malice. Put it away so that you have room to practice being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even forgiving one another to the extent that God in Christ has forgiven you. As children of God, this is how we imitate God, by living as Christ lived, living in love of one another. So we've talked about how truth cannot be objectified. But truth is also not subjective. It is not something that we can fully understand in our own self. Subjective truth says that I know it in my heart and thus it is true. Such a truth seems wonderful until it comes clashing into the reality of relationship. I saw a funny illustration of this in the most recent New Yorker in the sketchbook by Myra Kalman. Portions of it read like this. A visit to the Zen monastery for a day of mindfulness. Well, half a day, because I refused to stay for something called the sharing circle, which I feel bad about now, but there you go. And now my mind is full of bliss, walking meditation, observing nature, silence, listening, compassion, kindness, being in the moment, silent eating, vegan, crunching, no craving, no anger. Well, some craving, some anger. Hmm, insatiable craving, a lot of anger. Stop it, really. You do what you can, and there you go. I think this is a universal experience of such subjective truth, and that's why it resonates with each of us. I go back to Parker Palmer's words. Our deepest desire is to be in a network of caring and accountability called truth. Such individual spirituality seems nice until we realize that it isn't substantial enough to give us what we long for if it doesn't draw us into this network of caring and accountability called truth. Jesus responds to this individual desire by making himself available to each one of us, sustaining us with himself and drawing us into relationship with one another where he is made known again and again and again. Do you want to be a forgiving person? Do you think of yourself as a forgiving person? Notice the opportunities that God gives you to practice forgiveness. We read in one of the Gospels that someone asked Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother. Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. Well, that comes out to 490. Maybe you're just on opportunity number 300. Do you want to be more loving? Do you consider yourself a loving person? Notice the opportunities that God gives you to practice being loving. Jesus demonstrates his love by loving his own in the world until the bitter end, even when they betrayed him and abandoned him. And it's because of his love in the face of abandonment and betrayal that we come to realize the magnitude of God's love in Jesus. A woman said to me once, I really want to be more patient, and I pray every day for patience. 
She said, but every day I don't have it. I said to her, you know, maybe you should quit praying for it. Seems to me that God is giving you a chance every day to impart the patience of God and to receive that. So if you're tired, why don't you just take a break from praying for patience? When we want to grow in this network of care and accountability, it is only God who can sustain us. It is only God who can provide for us what we need to venture into this relationship called truth. This sustenance is what is given to us at the Holy Table whenever we come forward for the Eucharist. Drawn to this place and this time because of our love for Christ, we come to the rail to experience what love has made known to us already, that Jesus is the bread of life. In his giving of himself, we are nurtured, we are sustained, and we are empowered. As we place ourselves shoulder to shoulder, we sense the community into which we are made. God knits us together into a network of caring and accountability. There are none of those people here because we are all one in Jesus, being made into a community of truth in love. It is my hope that as we share in worship and ministry week in and week out, we might become more fully this network of caring and accountability, revealing God's truth. And that as people encounter us, the body of Christ at St. Stephen's, they might experience that there are none of those people here. That the community of caring and accountability that we experience is offered to all and reveals the love of God in Jesus. This love is revealed through our commitment, through our encouragement, and through our affirmation that to love as Christ loved us is our highest calling. Amen. <laughs>